going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. It is the Going Deep Podcast. I am Don Bennett, and we are going deep on all things Super Bowl today, the biggest game in the NFL. And well, you know, as much as things change, they stay the same. The Kansas City Chiefs have won another Super Bowl led by a second half double digit comeback by Patrick Mahomes in a game where he was an underdog. Yeah, let's just get used to it. It was a up and down game with a great ending, but in between somewhat choppy action was really well produced, really slick advertising and marketing. And that's not just the commercials and the brand spots that we saw. It was in the game, in the actual event, whether it was what was going on on stage at halftime with Usher or what was going on in the suites. And if you haven't noticed by now, talking about and consuming and critiquing these commercials is one of my favorite pastimes. Every year I write an article for sportsnet.ca ranking the best Super Bowl commercials. I did the very same this year. So you can find that on our website, sportsnet.ca, or in the show notes of this podcast. And there were some key themes, certainly based off of where our general conversation is going. You saw a lot of ads about green energy, a lot of ads about AI, a lot of ads about uh, women's rights and empowerment issues. So that, that was instructive to see as these Super Bowl ads can be a bit about a cultural conversation that if you took a snapshot, a time capsule, if you will, of what we were talking about in the monoculture at any given time, we see that reflected in the ads. The other thing we saw reflected in the ads was a lot of comedy and a lot of celebrity. And you can see that through line in the top most watched ads on YouTube. Number 10 was Skechers with Tony Romo and Mr. T. Number nine was Scientology because why not? So Scientology had a 60 second spot. Had some movie trailers at eight was Universal Pictures with Twisters. At seven was 20th Century Studios with Kingdom of the Planet Apes. Mountain Dew with Aubrey Plaza was really good at number six. So the White Lotus fans will really get a kick out of that one. Speaking of Google and YouTube, Google had a really good ad uh, and they came in at number five. It's a heartfelt message. Actually, you know what? I don't want to ruin it for you. Google it and watch it. Um, Really important that you see that one if you haven't already. Platforms, again, investing heavily. Number four was Snapchat or Snap, as the kids call it, an ad about being less social on social media. Number three, two and one are the usual suspects. State Farm has one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. T-Mobile and number two had one with name a celebrity. They were in it, including Bradley Cooper. And number one was Booking.com with Tina Fey. Again, someone who's in Super Bowl ads quite a bit. And Booking.com has 
been someone who's invested in the space quite heavily. The real question is why are people investing in the space? What is the return on investment when you are paying for a Super Bowl ad that is upwards of $7 million for a 30-second spot? Some of these ads were 60 or 90 seconds. And how have the marketing campaigns and approaches changed over the years as our consumption habits have changed? No better person to get that marketing and advertising perspective from than Alina Mazar from Fuse Creates, which is an award-winning advertising and marketing forum. Let's go deep on the marketing opportunity that was Super Bowl 58. So the drama just wasn't on the field last night. It was in between with uh, so many commercials and really lots of teasers leading up to the Super Bowl. From a marketing standpoint, what sticks out to you about this Super Bowl? Because I feel like everyone is a bit of a time capsule where they tell you a story of where we are in our culture at that time. What stuck out to you last night? Yeah, that's. I liked what you said about teasers because you're totally right. A lot of the drama happened before the Super Bowl and you're sort of waiting to see what was about to happen uh, from brands like Uber Eats with their incredible teaser with the Beckhams to, you know, Duncan was probably one of my favorites with Ben Affleck and his, there was an entire ad before the actual ad. So you were waiting to see what was going to happen to Michael Sarah just handing out lotion in New York City uh, right before his ad with CeraVe. I think there were some really interesting pre-stories that got to the Super Bowl. I also found it interesting that a couple brands kind of did a throwback to ads of past. You know, I think Budweiser was a great example of that, where I'm a huge fan. I love the Budweiser Clydesdales to begin with. I think they're so iconic. But as someone who has a dog, the sort of puppy dog horse relationship, um, it's so it, there's something really interesting and special there. So seeing them bring that back in a new way was really interesting. So I thought there was a, a unique blend of leaning into culture and these cultural moments uh, in order to kind of build your insight for, for the ad to uh, a lot of humor. There was a lot of humor, probably more than ever before, in my opinion. Um, and then some of those throwbacks, you know, from Budweiser to E-Trade, the E-Trade babies, an ad that I didn't really love, to be honest, but a throwback nonetheless, uh, to, you know, a time where, um, you know, to kind of play up some of our nostalgia as well. So it was a really interesting balance between, in my opinion, those few concepts. Well, you mentioned something interesting in that we've got to the point where it's not just uh, linear TV advertisement, it is, you know, guerrilla marketing, influencer marketing, a multi-tiered campaign, whether you're pushed to another platform uh, or pushed to enter a contest. Um, When you look at the opportunity for a brand, uh, what is behind the strategy of not just approaching the 30, the 60, the 90 second spot, but trying to elongate the conversation? Yeah, I mean, the reality is 
everyone isn't watching linear broadcast anymore. You know, I think that is the reality. There's a lot of options beyond linear broadcast, whether it's connected TV, whether it's, you know, digital, looking at digital options and opportunities, or folks who are just watching on their phone, right? Like they're following along, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's on Twitter, so, or X, I should call it. I think there's lots of different ways people are consuming content now that are not just through linear broadcast, especially advertising. The reality is most people aren't sitting and watching ads from start to finish uh, as they're looking at breaks within that broad, even if they're watching it on broadcast. So in order to actually break through, advertisers and brands need to look at this in a different way. And they need to look at the entire sort of span and ecosystem around Super Bowl in order to reach people, whether it's through digital, whether it's through real life, whether it's through influencers, in order for their ad to actually break through but also so that people are looking for their ad on Super Bowl day. The reality is if you don't know it's coming, chances of a consumer missing the ad is really high. And when a brand has invested so heavily on talent, on ideation, on doing something breakthrough, they wanna make sure people are watching it. And so if I look at an example like Uber Eats is a great example where they just jumped on this trending moment with the Beckhams from uh, David Beckham's documentary and the ad, the teaser was so funny that you were just waiting for the ad on the day. You wanted to see how they were going to play this out. You know, they kind of teased the fact that, you know, I think David Beckham called her Jessica Aniston was going to be in the ad. You know, they did such a good job with the teaser that when Super Bowl came around, you're waiting for it. And I think there's something really interesting there where you're sort of seeding it in the back of people's minds versus if I look back three or four years even, organizations would just release the ad, right? Like it's just out there. So by the time Super Bowl came, there was really no new news. I think everyone's done a, the brands this year did a really good job with these like little nuggets throughout leading up to the ad. So when you actually saw it, it was almost like a bit of a reveal moment. Um, and then using TikTok, using, you know, meme culture, using, you know, again, the Michael Cerevi example is so simple where he legitimately was just walking around New York City, handing Cerevi out and with no cameras. And the general public was just looking at him going, what is going on? This is absolutely bizarre. You know, so they, they did, brands did a really good job this year, sort of teasing it out until the big day where people were actually looking for a big reveal. And you have to do that now. You know, it's the entire ecosystem, media ecosystem is so um, congested that you actually need to disrupt in a unique way. And I think uh, you saw that with a few of the brands. You talked about the fact that not everyone is consuming this content on linear uh, yet yeah. the the amounts for these 30 second spots have steadily uh, gone up in 2015 they're just under 5 million now uh, this year there were 7 million is that number going to crash and come back or plateau at least what do you expect to see from you know, big game ads and how they're being priced mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is the pricing of the ad is really expensive, but I think what they are providing advertisers with a bit more of a 360 approach in how that ad comes to life, whether it is through digital, whether it's through partnerships, whether it's through athlete sponsorships. So I think, you know, the reality is there is a prestige of being, you know, 
a Super Bowl advertiser. And brands use that to show that, you know, they are, they're in with culture, they have the money, right? They are, you know, jumping on a passion point. So I can't see a world where the dollar amount that is associated with the Super Bowl goes down because it is this sort of epic event that people uh, arguably around the world are waiting for. What I see is the sort of metrics change around it where it isn't about eyeballs on broadcast anymore. You know, I think if you look at Bud Light as an example, I'm, you know, I didn't love the Bud Light Genie ad personally, but that dude was everywhere, literally. You know, he's on broadcast with all the people from the commercial. You know, he's on the sphere on, you know, in Vegas. He was literally everywhere. So being able to then take a character or, you know, a mnemonic from the ad and extend it across all these other properties just increases that ROI for Bud Light because now I'm talking about it versus I may not have even talked about it you know, if it was just a 30 second ad. So I think the way it's probably going to shift is the value that advertisers are getting from the, those multi-million dollars that they're spending. How can they extend that value across as many channels as possible? And how can the NFL give them really interesting opportunities to bring the brand to life outside just broadcast with their broadcast investment? Um, and I think you'll see that continue just as how we consume, you know, how we consume television, how we consume events like this continues to change. You mentioned Bud Light, uh, which is mm. an ongoing uh, marketing story. Uh, so I'll ask you about that. Uh, there's a shot in broadcast of Post Malone holding a yeah. Bud Light and everyone in his suite holding a Bud Light. In terms of actual value and creating brand affinity, is that shot during the Super Bowl somewhat organically? more valuable than the ad itself? Oh, big time, big time. I mean, the fact that you have artists like Post Malone, um, I think in that ad you have Peyton Manning, like you've got some key folks in there hitting on different sort of interests interests of their consumer, but like consumer, um, the fact that he's sitting in the suite and there was one shot where he was with the Bud Light Genie guy and they were both drinking Bud Light. You know, those moments are, you know, look organic. They're certainly not organic. They're very much built for broadcast and staged for broadcast, but you're totally right. It increases that, um, it, it increases that legitimacy of the brand and it brings it to an audience that I think, I mean, Bud Light spent the last year doing a level of overcorrection, which, you know, there's lots of opinions and thoughts about this on whether they needed it, what they should have done, but they've really been trying to overcorrect the brand, right? To a place of we're here for everyone. And I think Super Bowl, knowing who their consumer is and their consumer loves Super Bowl, big sports fans, they needed to own this moment and they needed to be everywhere. And I think with those little moments, you know, and then Post Malone also being a key person in the Super Bowl because he sort of sang before the before the game started, and you know he was featured on broadcast a lot within that weekend, Super Bowl weekend. He was featured on social and on TikTok a ton dur- during that sort of pre Super Bowl. So I think they picked their artists right, and um, it was really simple, right? Artist brand, all of his friends drinking the product, and it's really that simple. So when you talk about the fact it's it's not organic, and as I said, or yeah. organic, you know, with with air quotes, you know, how 
strategic and structured would something like that be? Obviously, he is a Bud Light spokesperson at this point, so he wouldn't be seen drinking something else. It's just being yeah. a good partner. But given that they are an ad partner with CBS, yeah. would that be as strategic as to say, at this time, in this quarter, you're going to cut to this suite and Post Malone knows he'll be shown holding this? Or is it just he's known he's going to be seen and thus he's going to be holding uh, cold Bud Light for four hours? Yeah, I think it really depends on the broadcast. I think with regards to the Super Bowl, though it is probably pretty on schedule, you know, I think they likely know a window of when it's going to cut to them. You know, it might not be that exact minute, but they know generally the window so that some PR person can put him in the suite, sit him down, make his friends sit down. I mean, as a consumer, you've been, you know, for those of us who've been in some of those suites, it's rare that everyone's just sitting <laughs> so nicely with their drinks watching the game, right? So I think there's a general understanding that, look, as a part of your, you know, your buy, your ad buy, we'll get, you know, three or four shots of people consuming product, a shot of the suite, and it'll probably around be around this time so that someone up there can kind of rally the troops and get everybody ready. So, you know, I think the good news for Bud Light is for people who are in our business, who maybe are, are as cynical as you and I, they think it's totally organic and it looks like, you know, Post Malone and his buddies enjoying uh, a really good drink. Uh, but it's definitely part of that contract and that agreement that Bud Light has signed uh, because the broadcast value of that is huge, as you said. You know, the broadcast value of that appearing and looking normal and natural and of the number of people that were tuned into the game at that point in time ad free, right? Like you're not in the middle of advertising. You're literally watching the game. So there's huge value corresponding to that. So in terms of strategy, we've seen mm -hmm. from my vantage point, three distinct strategies, the old school strategy the ad comes out during the game. It's the first time you see it, first reference to it. Uh, a bit of a hybrid where there are teasers to the ad. The official big game ad comes out during the game. And there's the strategy where anywhere from three weeks to a day, the actual ad is out and people are consuming it on YouTube, talking about it mm -hmm. on morning shows, etc. When you look at those three approaches, what are the actual benefits of going those directions and why do you suspect companies have gone the way they've chose? So this is my perspective based on how I know consumers are actually looking at media today. I think just releasing an ad on Super Bowl day uh, doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, I don't think in, you're going to get enough eyeballs. I think there are too many brands that are trying to own the space before and after that you might get lost in the mix. Uh, and that ad better be really, really, really freaking good, right? Like it better be so good that, you know, you're comparing it to Apple's 1984, think different. Like it better be that good for it to actually to break through. I think there's a couple of brands. I mean, I think about BetMGM, who I actually didn't mind their ad with Vince Vaughn and uh, Tom Brady. Uh, maybe that's because, you know, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I actually kind of liked it. 
And uh, I think BetMGM released their ad a couple days before, and that was the ad that was on TV, and everybody knew what to expect. But everyone was talking about it a couple days before. And so I think there is interesting talk value there. I personally love this idea of a, a unique teaser. I love it. I think there's a couple things you need to have in order to make sure that your ad still breaks through. You need to make sure that the teaser and the ad, the payoff of the ad, it actually makes sense, right? Like your your advertising on Super Bowl Day is creative enough, different enough, unique enough that the teaser makes sense with that payoff. Um, you want to make sure that the teaser actually hits on some sort of cultural moment or some something that's going to break through on the internet because that's the other thing you know you've got so much content pre-super bowl from you know is taylor swift going to be there to organizations just dumping their ads beforehand so that teaser's got to be really good too but i think if you're creative is strong enough this idea of a teaser and then the ad gives you a bit of both right it gives you that surprise and delight on Super Bowl day um, and it gives you a, a bunch of people waiting to see what you're going to put out but it also gives you so many eyeballs before the Super Bowl itself so I really love that strategy I think releasing it before Super Bowl makes sense too because you're going to make use of some really great um, digital media and interest before the game but I think the days of just launching the ad on Super Bowl day I don't think that's a good strategy anymore, in my personal opinion, um, because I think people are are you're I think you're going to get lost in a sea of advertising. Well, let's take it one step further. Do you need to be on during broadcast? Can you just put big game ad in the description when you release it on YouTube and hope that it ends up on the ad blitz playlist and release an ad that is in reference to the game, but mm -hmm. not pay $7 million upfront for that one airing uh, on broadcast? I mean, there. first off, I think you've got to be really careful because NFL legal is all over that stuff. So making sure you're saying the right things and doing the right things. But honestly, I think there's there's certainly interesting ways to sort of hack the system. You know, I think there's ways for brands to use TikTok and YouTube um, in interesting ways where you don't need to spend the money to be on broadcast as an official ad. Uh, I think you can do something really guerrilla and sort of different and um, use digital for what it's made for, which is disruption, right? Like disrupt that journey in a certain way. I think there's a lot of um, I think what ends up happening is brands get a bit scared because of how much money is being invested by some of these bigger advertisers, right? Like you're, you're talking about multi-million dollar pieces of creative and in order to stand out, your idea has got to be really strong. And so I think that scares a lot of advertisers away from doing that disruptive sort of a strategy. But I mean, I think next year, that would be a great way to go, in my opinion. You know, do something a bit different, zig while others are zagging, you know, use digital for what it was created for, um, but just make sure your legal team has your their eyes all over it because NFL is definitely looking out for those things. You mentioned legal because that yeah. was the first thing that came to mind when I watched the Cetaphil ad, which is, you know, a nod to all things Taylor Swift, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. the 
bracelets, the number 89, the number 13, uh, the, yeah. the VO of the broadcaster talking about, you know, why people are watching, you know, the world's most famous fan. What came out uh, was that a TikTok creator believes that that ad was ripping off uh, her experience with her um, mm-hmm. family, and thus there might be an entirely different legal case to be made. Uh, people love the the story, and then it became a, a secondary story that you know this TikTok creator believes that's her experience being depicted. What did you make of the approach? The clear and obvious association re- related to Taylor and, and Travis Kelsey, um, and then the you know the somewhat uh, of a backlash um, you know after the fact. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I mean, first off, I think Taylor, everything Taylor does, people want to emulate, right? And I think you saw it with her album release after the Grammys. I think every single brand had that Taylor album you know, as a meme on their on their brand channel. So she is definitely someone that gets a lot of media attention. And you know that if you're talking about Taylor as a brand, you're probably going to get some media attention. Uh, I think also one of the biggest non-football stories was Taylor and Travis going into the Super Bowl. So I can see brands wanting to jump on that. I think, you know, it's a bit, it's not, I mean, as a creative, it doesn't feel like it's incredibly creative. I think it's a bit expected. That said, I think the really interesting story, as you talked about, was the TikTok creator kind of calling them out on that. I think when brands are looking at these kind of stories, um, what they tend, going back to legal and going back to sort of, uh, you know, making sure that they can actually put some of the stuff on air, what they te- what they tend to do is make sure that they're not saying anything they, they shouldn't. They're not going to get called out by Taylor's legal team. I think there was enough sort of cues that made it obvious, but differences that wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of her legal team wasn't going to call them and say, you know, you're ripping us off. There was enough sort of leaning into a cultural moment versus something that Taylor has trademarked. And so there was enough difference there legally. I think though, you know, Making sure that there is a look on the internet, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, Reddit, um, to ensure that this concept isn't that close to something someone else has done, or ensuring that if it is close, you're also looking at the legal ramifications of that closeness, right? You know, is it is the story close? Is it the items that you're using? Like, what are you actually doing that is that close to whatever another creator has done? Because this isn't actually the first time there have been conversations where creators have come up and said, well, I posted video X. And unfortunately, there isn't clear direction right now legally as to, you know, obviously the creator owns that asset. It's their idea. Um, but when there isn't that much likeness and similarity between what the brand's done and the creator's done, you know, the brand can kind of get away with it. Um, whether that is ethical or not is up for debate, obviously, based on the situation. Um, but I think brands need to look beyond sort of that traditional, is it is this going to, you know, make talent mad or make a property like the NFL mad? And look at actual consumer and UGC content to see the closeness, because I think this is just normal as it relates to ideation. You know, when we're looking at a piece of creative, we are looking globally to see, has this been done before? You know, who has done it? How close is it to the idea of what's been done before? And what are the legal ramifications of that? Unfortunately, for for 
you know, creatives today and advertisers today, that repository of videos isn't just what other advertisers are putting on broadcast. It's now what people are putting on the internet as creators. So I think we've got our due diligence as creatives and advertisers needs to increase a little bit. And then vice versa, I think we've got to figure out what it, what the do's and don'ts are in situations like this uh, when you're dealing with a creator who has one idea, which could be one video out of you know a million videos they've posted that it's easy to miss also as a brand. So I don't think there's a clear-cut answer in this case, but I think there's a lot of interesting learnings for both brands and advertisers coming out of it. You mentioned album drop, and so I'll transition yeah. to Verizon and Beyonce, mm-hmm. which uh, created lots of conversation, but also created traffic to her Instagram page and maybe less so to Verizon's website. Uh, what did you make of this strategy on behalf of both the brand and on behalf of the artist as well? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, right? Like, I think when you're dealing with an artist like Beyonce, um, You've got to be ready for, uh, you've got to be ready for things like that, where clearly her fans are her fans and they're going to go to her channels. And it's not, unless you've got a clear call to action to say, you know, go check out Verizon, whatever, they're going to be just directed to her. So I think this is goes back to the comment of ensuring there's this like 360 cohesive integration of what are, whatever campaign you're creating. And a, a Beyonce is going to, in, the price tag is going to increase to ensure that there is that 360 cohesion, whether it's on her, you know, social channels, whether it's on her, whatever, Spotify, like whatever, however you want to actually build that 360 ecosystem, you, the price tag will increase. But in reality, if you've got an artist, especially a music artist, um, and you're leaning on their equity, there's a reason why you're doing that. And that audience will lean on that artist versus the brand, especially when you're a brand like Verizon, right? Like you probably don't have the same sort of, I mean, you definitely don't have the same cultural clout. Uh, That audience doesn't really think much about you. And so I think the integration of Beyonce was smart because you can tell what kind of audience they were trying to go for uh, and who they wanted to sort of appeal uh, for that create that ad. I actually thought it was a pretty decent ad. I think it's just about now thinking through like that entire customer journey, right? At what point, what do you want them to do now? And where are they going to go to do that thing? And how are you going to make sure that the brand linkage exists in those moments? The artist and brand that probably got the longest Super Bowl commercial would be Apple Music and Usher. Uh, oh, yeah. Big time. He got two more minutes than is normally allotted. Uh, they teased the conversation uh, for a while with some teaser videos. You know, Where's Usher? Uh, featuring even Tim Cook and uh, not by mistake, he also uh, released information about his upcoming tour days before his performance. People are surprised to hear that the halftime performing artist is not paid. And in fact, sometimes mm-hmm. they put in some of their own money into the production because they know there's gonna be a windfall given that opportunity. Can you put in perspective what the halo effect and benefit is for both the artist and for Apple Music having you know that literal stage? You know, it's this is a really interesting topic because I don't know if you remember when before Usher was actually 
um, decided upon or confirmed, I should say, as the artist, there was a lot of conversations about how many artists turned down the Super Bowl halftime show. Um, one who was there, Taylor Swift being one of those people, but I think there are a couple of other artists that had turned down the Super Bowl show for the same reason. I think for an artist, there's got to be a really compelling reason to do this if you're not getting paid. I think Usher made a ton of sense. First and foremost, he's got a residency in Vegas. That's the first thing. And um, it was the Super Bowl was in Vegas. He's got a he has a residency there. He's got a close connection to the city. I think the second thing is he was launching his tour. Um, so there was direct benefit, ideally, on tour sales and free media, basically, for him in order to promote that tour. And I think, um, you know, Usher hasn't really released new music in quite some time. Uh, and so there was this, and as someone who grew up with Usher, you know, some of the his like 90s throwbacks that he was singing got me in a really nostalgic space. And I'm probably his target consumer who he wants at his show, right? So it really kind of it gives you that realization of, oh, I actually know a lot of his music. You know, I quite like him. He's a great performer. Yeah, I'll go to a show. So I think if there is value for the artists like that, I mean, it, a couple of years ago, was it last year that was Rihanna? Um, when Rihanna performed, it was just to remain relevant. You know, I think the joke about has Rihanna got a new album has been happening for so many years, but she was just trying to build and maintain her relevancy. So I think that the, there has to be a smart goal in it for the artist um, and if the goal is there it makes so much sense it's it's the biggest stage in the world everyone's tuning in there are people who don't tune into the game but watch the halftime show right they turn it on for the halftime show and I think Apple Music was such a good partner it made so much sense you know like the partnership made so much sense and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see an Apple Music after you know, drop coming up pre, uh, pre tour and and continuing that relationship because that was that was really smart. The biggest relationship the NFL had with a musician this year probably would be uh, the relationship with Taylor Swift via that's know, right her dating Travis Kelsey. So much debate in terms of how much uh, attention uh, that garners or should garner if it takes away from the actual event itself. Can you put into context, you know what? the Swifty effect could be even on something as big as the NFL. Is there a true real conversion uh, of, uh, you know, fandom or appreciation because one of the world's biggest pop stars, you know, goes to Chiefs home games? I honestly feel like the NFL may have won a lottery, to be honest. Like, that's how I feel. I think when you look at it, viewership is up. Merch sales are up. Um, the audience watching, there's young girls. I mean, who would have thought young girls would be NFL's market? And they're just not. And so when you're talking about who the NFL is now drawing to watch their games, now keep in mind, it's obviously Chiefs games, and I'm sure Kansas City, the Chiefs aren't upset about this because <laughs> they're certainly reaping the benefits of it. But the Swifty effect has been huge. I think there's a couple things that it's done. The first thing is it's opened up the NFL to a totally different audience, younger, more female, um, an audience that wasn't watching the game and, and a game that is aging a little bit, right? Like they struggled to get younger people excited about it. They've struggled to get diverse audiences excited about it. And when you look at 
you know, Taylor Swift's audience, it's younger, it's female, it's diverse. And so I think it's, they've really, it's unlocked a new audience for them. I think the second thing is they, it's made the sport a cultural, it's moved it from sport to culture. You know, now when you look at, even if you look at the Super Bowl, usually the day after the Super Bowl, it would be, you know, Sportsnet, ESPN, TSN, like all of the sort of sport um, shows would be talking about the Super Bowl. There are Instagram posts from Entertainment Tonight, you know, and Entertainment Weekly and Vogue about the Super Bowl. It's really taken it from this sport moment to this full on global cultural moment and phenomenon, which again, it's free media that the NFL would have never gotten. Um, and I think, you know, it's gotten people excited about the sport in a new way. I think everybody loves a good love story, you know, and the Kelsey brothers are charming guys and, you know, they, they've got really great personas themselves and marrying that with Taylor. I think there's some really fun, interesting, organic content that is talking about the NFL without them paying for it. So personally, I, I mean, I get it. I understand what the purists are saying, but I mean, in my opinion, get over it. Like you've, it's, it's this one small thing has almost transformed the sport in one season. Now the question would be, you know, I mean, I, I hope they stay together. I'm a hopeless romantic, but if they don't, you know, is the NFL going to hold on to this new fandom? Because what they're also seeing is girls may have started to tune in. I say girls, let's call them, you know, younger people. I shouldn't, I should say that younger people may have started to tune in to watch Taylor and Travis and the Chiefs, but now are staying for the games, right? Like they're actually building fandom. They're watching other games. They're tuning in on Sunday. They're sitting with their dads and asking their dads primarily about the sport. So I think it has actually become a bigger thing. We'll see if the NFL can hold on to it. And you can see them trying different things. I mean, look at the Nickelodeon broadcast this year. That was pretty cool and totally different. So you can see the NFL is trying to go a bit younger and do something different. I think this has just brought them the audience to do that. Well, you said marrying with Taylor maybe as a, a Freudian slip, uh, but the fact mm -hmm. that there were real prop bets in terms of if one of them was going to propose on field lets you know that people are locked into not just the game, uh, but, you know, the, the, the that are central characters. Okay, before I let you go, mm -hmm. you are teaching, you know, Marketing 101 to a class and the lesson is Super Bowl 58. The overarching marketing lesson based off of what you've seen in the lead up and throughout uh, the game this year would be what? First and foremost, look at sport as culture, not as sport. I think the brands that did really well leaned into cultural moments, understood what was going on, on the internet, understood what people were sort of reacting to outside football and built those, brought those into their advertising, brought those into sort of their marketing campaigns. So really look at sport as it relates to culture. I think the second thing I would say is for sure, look at that 360 media mix, right? Um, your, your example of Post Malone and Bud Light in the suite, you have to look beyond the 30 second ad and look at how each and every one of those touch points you know, whatever you're trying to say is integrated, um, whether it's paid or unpaid, it doesn't matter. Look beyond that 30 second ad in the entire ecosystem. Um, and then the third thing I would say is uh, know really those tenants of your brand that have positive brand perception. 
I'll go back to Budweiser and the Clyde sales. That's not a, that is not an accident, right? They built that brand reputation for years and years and years. They built this nostalgia and this like emotional connection between people and the Clydesdales. And the fact that they brought them back this year is also not a mistake. You know, know what the know what brands like, what are those things that brands stand for? What what builds those emotional connections? And be okay to revive that. You know, be okay to to sort of play on people's nostalgia because um, that's what that's what gets that emotional connection going as well. So those would be sort of my three lessons as to a to a marketing one on one audience. Well, we have 206 days until the start of the next season, 364 until the next Super Bowl. So uh, I'm interested to see what brands apply those lessons uh, to the next one moving forward. Thank you so much for schooling all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Alina for that perspective. Really interesting stuff and a conversation that honestly, marketing class, business class could listen to and learn from. So we thank her for her perspective. We'll take a bit of a commercial break, if you will, pay some bills and then come back and talk about the place that everyone's going to see these ads at. It's on YouTube. That and more after this. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad. And they are not really great with a phone or an iPad, but they are good at talking to devices. And they say to the Google, as they call it, uh, they want to see X or Y. What people are hoping to see today, tomorrow, for a while, I'd imagine, are the Super Bowl ads. And I'm interested to learn how Super Bowl conversations are happening online in comparison to how they're happening at the water cooler and in your text groups. So to learn what Canadians and people around the world is searching for as it relates to Super Bowl. Let's talk to Susan Charles, brand strategy lead at YouTube Canada. So Susan, first and foremost, I don't know if you're happy about the result because as a Packers fan, you saw the Niners lose and the Packers outplayed the Niners and maybe uh, could have been in the Super Bowl. But either way, people were really happy to see what we saw in between the action the advertisements, and uh, people have been talking about them for a while, well before kickoff. What have you noticed in terms of the trends of people going online, going into their search bar to find Super Bowl big game ads uh, before the actual big game? You're right, Donovan. Um, I did want the Niners to win because that would have provided me some vindication that the Packers lost to the Niners. Um, So I was in their camp. Um, but obviously a Travis and Taylor smooch at the end of the the Super Bowl that like certainly satisfied the pop culture lover in me. Um, but the ads, the ads this year, probably more than any other year that we've been watching them, started to appear the moment the championship game ended 
and got released more and more and more as we were leading up to the Super Bowl. Um, so we got so much content being thrown our way on YouTube and it got to satisfy like all of our curiosities and all of our desires from really interesting ads and our desires for really funny ads. Um, again, from the moment the championship game ended through the Super Bowl and today and through today. And was there a trend in terms of what people, one, were consuming, but two, what the brands were making and expecting people to want to consume in the first place? I definitely trends that we saw were um, bringing back bringing back kind of the ensembles and the cast that people love. So a lot of reunions, we saw that in the top ads, um, on top ads watched on YouTube. We saw a lot of humor. We saw a lot of emphasis on nostalgia um, and celebrity. Typically what we see in years past kind of happened this year, except happened to a greater extent this year. In, in terms of people finding uh, these ads, whether you know they're in a country where they may not have originally uh, played, how long after Super Bowl do you expect this to be part of the cultural conversation? I expect this to be going on for at least another week. Um, what we've seen is that the ads released on YouTube started earlier this year. So I expect based on that, we might see it go a little later this year as well. Um, so again, we typically see ads being watched in the, the several days after the Super Bowl, halftime shows, um, highlights from the game, any type of gossip from the game, what people were wearing, that type of thing being, uh, being watched on YouTube. But because there was so much this year, so much to love and so much story to consume, I definitely expect it to go a little longer. We certainly saw high level of celebrity, whether it's in specific ads or nods to celebrity like a Taylor Swift. From a search engine optimization standpoint, having a brand tied to someone that people are coming to the platform to look for in the first place, how does that potentially benefit uh, a brand or company? I think it increases the recognizability and the retention of the ad. Like brands lean into celebrity and nostalgia and humor and basically anything on that broad spectrum of human emotion because it helps audiences remember the ad. And then it helps them kind of think about them when they need to fulfill a need. So if a brand is creating something or creating a message that an audience remembers when they have a curiosity or when they need to make a purchase, they'll remember that and then go search for it. And in terms of the types of things that people are curious to search for before and after Super Bowl, what does the Venn diagram look like in terms of what the algorithm might be giving me relative to my wife, you know, sitting right beside me? What are the types of different things people care to learn or explore about when it comes to Super Bowl? Well, when you talk about to like what you and your wife do, you're right. Like your YouTube experiences are going to be drastically different because because the ad is in the eye of the beholder. Um, how you interpret and how you're consuming content is going to cater your experience. Now on aggregate, what we saw, and this was hilarious and kind of both hilarious and really enjoyable for me was we saw roller skates spiking during the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you watched the halftime show. My jaw dropped when Usher came out in like a transformer style costume on roller skates. <laughs> um, so roller skates actually spiked as a as a search term. Roller skates versus roller blades 
also spiked as a search term during the ad. Um, another shocking thing to me, given my age group and my love for Usher, was the term "What is a town?" Um, also oh, spiked no. during the Super Bowl. Don't in fact, it tripled. Don't tell me that. It tripled in in, vol in search volume during the during, around the halftime show. And again, as someone who knows what that is, I was like, "Oh no, we need to train a new generation." A new generation, younger and older, probably to know what this is. Um, Bill Paxton movies, um, that's those search terms spiked because of the Twister, um, the Twister ad, their, the Twister trailer that ran during the, I forget when it ran, but it ran during the Super Bowl and was actually on the top 10 list of ads most watched. So even though this, this movie did not include Bill Paxton, his search term spiked um, around the, the release of the Twisters trailer. And overall, of Streaker obviously also spiked, which we know it happens in every big game. Like every big game has a Streaker. Um, but that also spiked because people wanted to know what was going on. And then overall, the, the ads themselves had over 90 million views yesterday. So there's so many people tuning in to try to find more information about the ads. I'm just going to personally hope that it was an older demo that was Googling what A-Town meant and not a younger demo um, because, uh, yeah, we, we shouldn't have to reteach everything about 90s culture. Um, no, so what interests me is when you look at the variety of of ads you know on the platform you know certainly you've got you know the, the teasers that come out early but there's a real distinction between the 30s the 60s the 90s and things that are just cut specifically for the platform that don't air in broadcast that are almost like two minute mini movies when you look at uh the retention uh, of these ads uh, do you see much change in terms of how long people are willing to stay it's very much dependent on the story. What we always say to our brands that are creating for YouTube or they're creating even for broadcast, it's if your story is good, if you engage audiences and like engage them to feel something, could be humor, could be distress, could be anything. If they feel something, they will watch more of your ad. Doesn't matter if it's three minutes, doesn't matter if it's 47 seconds. Um, if you tell a good story, someone is going to watch it. Yeah, it's so funny that, you know, every other time of the year we see an ad and we're like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. And then th on this day, we're excited and paying the most attention, turning the volume up uh, for the ad and then sharing it uh, online. Uh, you talked about Usher. You know, that's the other big moment that happens during the game. Uh, how do, you know, clips and highlights and conversation around what happens at halftime compare to clips and highlights and conversation uh, about what happens in the actual game itself. What we're seeing is specifically around Usher, we did see a spike in his channel activity. So there was certainly a spike in searches and certainly a spike in channel activity around Usher, just trying to like understand more about his songs, trying to understand and more about like the videos associated with his songs. And I don't know about you, but watching Usher dance last night, I certainly wanted to go back and watch all of the old videos to see his dance moves because he is so, so good. Um, actual game footage, 
we're going to see that being leveraged or being watched from now in, in, in the coming days as people kind of analyze everything and try to understand like what went wrong for the 49ers or what went right for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, this is a very, you know, cultural moment, certainly uh, internationally. Are there other games, events, days that compare to the type of traffic you're describing on the various channels? I think there, you're right about the Super Bowl being one of the biggest cultural moments that exists for us on YouTube and on other platforms throughout the year. We do see other moments exist around like that. The Oscars are another big moment that we intend to see kind of a lot of eyeballs on the platform and a lot of eyeballs just wanting to consume as much content as possible. We're probably going to see that around UEFA World Cup, uh, not World Cup, the UEFA, the Euros this summer. And then we're going to see that around the Olympics too, especially when Canadians take stage or when they, they when they participate in their events. We're going to see a lot of Canadians leaning in to want to learn more and to want to kind of consume everything around those moments. One of the reasons why people want to host a Super Bowl, a city like Vegas specifically, is it's a bit of an advertisement uh, for the town. Does that track in terms of one of the things that people care to search around? Well, every single time we have a kind of a new venue, like this is the first time Las Vegas actually hosted the Super Bowl. And they actually hosted their, I believe it was their first Formula One race this past year. There's going to be a huge amount of interest in that particular city and in in how they show up. And with the dome being there and all of the, the kind of wonderful kind of new experiences that Las Vegas has, yes, those searches are going to rise. Um, and the interest in that particular city is going to rise. But there's also a halo effect because like as you watched last night, you saw some advertisement for Detroit as a draft location and like trying to, trying to hype up the next NFL draft and what that experience is going to be like. So they're trying to kind of not only talk about that venue, but also kind of halo the other venues that are coming up. Like, I mean, I saw the, the Buffalo Bills this morning posted on social, like the next Super Bowl venue and say like 2024 season starts now. So like absolutely Las Vegas is spiking, but there's a lot of other, a lot of other venues that will be as well. Uh, and lastly, as someone who has to, you know, cover and write about the commercials, um, the fact that there is a Super Bowl a playlist, you know, under AdBlitz is uh, super handy. So thank you. But in terms of general user behavior, are people making it a time to sit through and categorically go through the Super Bowl ads, or is it a little bit more a la carte, uh, bringing, being there from embeds and other sources or, or searching specific videos? How do people generally find uh, the videos they want to watch? That's a bit of both. We do see people just searching for like best Super Bowl ads of 2024 or this year's Super Bowl ads, and then being quite specific. Because if you have an ad like Booking.com had this year, or they had last year because they also had the top spot last year. You're going to have people very specifically asking for Melissa McCarthy, booking.com or Tina Fey, booking.com or State Farm, Arnold Schwarzenegger ad. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. You're gonna have people like, like Canadians who don't have exposure to all of the ads that were made for the Super Bowl simply because we don't, or we don't have the same 
kind of rights that we do in Canada that they do in the US, we're going to have people searching for top Super Bowl ads 100%. But then for those those nostalgic moments, those reunion moments, those moment those moments that had the most popular characters of years past, there's going to be very specific searches. Is there a trend or a fact um, that you've come across in, in all the data and research that you've been uh, had exposure to that really stuck out to you? I love the halftime, uh, the halftime kind of stats. Um, not only do we love, obviously, halftime show is one of the most popular things or the popular moments that you see within the Super Bowl. Last year, the Rihanna halftime Super Bowl show totaled more than eight and a half million hours of watch time. The JLo Shakira halftime show from a few years back is the most watched halftime show of all time. Um, so not only do we like we love we collectively as Canadians and we collectively as NFL fans love the halftime shows but we go back and we watch them over and over and over. Um, so I'm super curious to see how Usher ranks in the top 10 halftime shows um, uh, watched in like the last in recent memory, because those moments are just so iconic. And as much as I love the game, I do love like everything around it um, and how YouTube has given me access to every last detail that I want to know from like the designer of who they were wearing when they walked in to all of the clips of like the Gatorade being dumped on Andy Reid and then all of the ads. I'm getting it all and I am loving life right now. Well, uh, the info that I wanna know is how often people scrub back to the part of the performance where Usher is taking off his shirt and dancing. Uh, I don't know if you've got that deep level of analytics to share, um, but I, I, I anecdotally believe, uh, at least in, in my house, household, uh, not by me, uh, that that was the key part of the performance. Jonathan, it's really funny that you asked that question, because in my household, my husband was in the bathroom, and I was like, honey, he's taking off his shirt. And then I said, oh my gosh, he's taking off another shirt. And my husband runs out and he's like, are you insane? I'm like, no, but this is Usher and he's amazing. But I will give you a tip and trick. If you go onto the YouTube video, the official YouTube halftime video of the Usher performance, you will, if you watch the scrubber line, you'll be able to see spikes on the most rewound, most watched moments of that, of that video. So if you see a little kind of a little um, wave in the scrubber line or a little spike in the scrubber line, it means that people did actually rewind that to watch it again. I don't know if I will actually now want to know now that this is actually a thing because uh, I, I spent the balance of Sunday uh, listening to uh, the Usher uh, playlist um, and thinking to myself, this guy is so popular and all his songs are about like, mean things he's done to women and just like whining about it um, or breaking up with people. Um, and and now, and then I got to watch him perform and realized that uh, his 40 year old dad bod does not look like mine. So um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think uh, I, I can tell when the spikes might be, but um, it's super great to get context on uh, where you saw spikes across uh, the, the platform on Google and on YouTube um, and what the search engine looks like around uh, this big sporting moment in Canada. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Susan. Again, if you put in ad blitz in your browser 
on YouTube, you'll get a playlist with a bunch of things, including a specific playlist for all the Super Bowl ads if you want to consume them. If you want me to do the work for you, go to sportsnet.ca. I have an article ranking the top 30 ads. And full disclosure, I did 50 but there were so many embedded links that made it a tough watch. So I, I streamlined it for you because it's a lot of work to get through that many commercials. It's also a lot of work to get through this podcast. So thank you for making this far. Glad you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to like, favorite, share, and subscribe. We'll be back with another conversation on how things interact with the sporting world very soon.